Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey everyone, we are back in the basement, but actually we're at a dinner party. Uh, If you remember from last week, we were in John 12 and... We were at a dinner party with Jesus and a number of different characters, four other characters uh, we talked about, some characters that Jesus had previously interacted with, and one that he was at this guy's house, Simon the Leper, uh, which we concluded if he was a leper and everyone was at a dinner party, well, Jesus had to have healed him. The other folks at this party were Lazarus, who he just raised from the dead, right? So we're imagining this dinner party with just those three. Oh my gosh. The conversations that were probably had, everyone was probably just asking questions and just gleaning what they could from one who was once a leper, one who was once dead, but was raised to life by the other guy at the table, who is the son of God, the son of man, the one who the New Testament describes as the vessel of all creation. Um, And he was the savior of the world. And he was revealing himself as that um, to his disciples and those who he encountered on earth. So we are a week before his death on the cross. And this is sort of entering into preparing our hearts and our minds Uh, this story for a week that will be the rest of the Gospel of John, uh, where we're going to see Jesus's road to the cross. But at this dinner party, uh, we, we saw it wasn't just Simon the leper, it wasn't just Lazarus, um, but we see Martha, uh, Lazarus's sister, and Lazarus's other sister, Mary, were both there. And Martha was operating out of her tendency to serve, And Mary was, uh, of course, just being a worshiper um, and busted out this really expensive oil nard um, that comes from the Far East. And it was worth like a whole year's worth of work. Um, I think I brought up one pastor estimated closer to $40,000 worth of perfume and ointment. So we're here at the dinner table, amazing dinner party with some incredible guests. We've got the worker, the witness, and the worshiper, um, the worker being Martha, uh, the witness being Lazarus, and the worshiper being Mary, this amazing family who were very close friends to uh, Jesus that we can see within the Gospels. And then we've got Simon the leper. Uh, And then in verse 4, so we're in John chapter 12, verse 4, right after Mary gets down on her hands and knees and is wiping Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume, uh, Judas Iscariot pipes pipes in to the whole situation. And in verse 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, having charge of the money bags he used to help himself. So what was put to what was put into it? Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So this is a very, very um, precious moment, a very sacred moment, sitting around the dinner table um, with two who were healed in dramatic ways, one a leper, one raised from the grave. We see Martha operating out of her the way God created her, really. And we see Mary just pouring out worship, literally pouring out worship on Jesus' Jesus's feet. Uh, I did a devotional for uh, Yakima Foursquare this last week and just sort of was hoping to draw to mind the fact that this, in a sense, was a, a church service. This was, this was the church community around Jesus, like being the church, those who loved him and believed in him. We're coming together and operating as those who loved him and believed in him and um, who would experience his goodness. And there was no microphone. There was no lights or music or um, not a designated teacher or a designated worship leader or not a you know, scheduled event. But this was a time when they were together in Jesus's name and just celebrating and being together. And that's the essence of church, right? This is a wonderful time. This is a wonderful scene. I, I could imagine, you know, dinner at the end of the day was, was a time of rest and relaxation and after the grueling day and, and just getting to kick back and celebrate Jesus and what he had done. And then Judas. And Judas, he, he really floors me like my jaw always hits the ground when Judas is mentioned in within the gospels uh because there's this reminder that Jesus is omniscient and we'll get into texts like um in John 17 right we'll we'll get into texts where it says um talks about how this was is that it I have it pulled up right now I have guarded them and none of them has been lost except the son of destruction so that the scriptures might be fulfilled so Jesus knew what Judas was up to Jesus knew what Judas would do and when he says that the scriptures might be fulfilled this this comes from one teeny tiny out of all the psalms right you know we think of psalms and proverbs as like wow there's that section of the bible that like is beautiful poetry and then some great wisdom and it's so vast and you should read a psalm and a proverb a psalm or a proverb every day along with your scripture reading but nestled into the psalms are these prophetic um these prophetic statements and in Psalms 41, it says, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, again, what is bread representing? His body, has lifted his heel against me. And this is a prophetic statement about Judas. 
and this one little statement. I just I just want to point this out that Jesus chose the 12 and he chose Judas knowing that he would be that guy in moments like this that because he knows what Judas is going to do can you imagine the relational pain that Jesus went through on a day-to-day basis because Judas was there granted God is love and I'd imagine he had uh some amount of love for Judas um, and love for his part in the process, right? Um, But have you ever been in the middle of like this great moment and then someone walks through the door and, you know, uncles get a bad rap in that like there's always the crazy or belligerent uncle that like just ruins great moments in families like there's that sort of trope or meme or whatever um but i don't know if those are the right words for what i'm trying to communicate here but but there's that uncle who comes in into the room and just like man just you being here is really it or whoever it is it doesn't have to be an uncle right it's they show up and you're like gosh this was a great moment and now just you being there, it, it's less wonderful. I'm just being honest. Like, there are people like that in life. Um, and, and the Bible says we should pray for those people and, and, and ask God for a love for those people. And I encourage you to do that. If you have people like that, I have people like that in my life who I'm constantly saying, God, would you give me a heart for them? But Judas, can you imagine Jesus knowing, like we lean into the physical brutality of Christ's death. When it says that Jesus in Isaiah, that, that he is a man of sorrows, um, I just, I, maybe I've leaned into this before. He's there witnessing and revealing himself to and ministering love to a people, humanity who has turned its back on their creator, which he is their creator. And, and imagine that kind of tension in walking around. But of course, Jesus, like he walks in it perfectly. But then imagine his friend. One he has close. One he has chosen to walk with him day after day after day. It's so interesting. Because in, in Matthew, is it Matthew? Matthew 27, where we see, no, 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 it's Mark 14. So in Mark 14, it talks about how Judas betrays Jesus. And the mark of Judas betraying Jesus was he walked up and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed Jesus. So he says rabbi out of respect, but then he kisses Jesus as a friend. Like that was something friends only did. And I know some, some people are probably listening and going, well, I don't kiss all my friends. And <laughs> so other cultures, even today, um, I remember being in the Middle East. I was in uh, Amman, Jordan, and I was walking down the street. And uh, there were two young boys. And they were holding, like, young, young boys, right, who um, 
they were walking down the street and they had like their, they were holding hands. And so friends are very affectionate with one another. And if you live in the United States, that isn't like smiled upon. Um, for like, for some reason we have steered away from with our friends and loved ones that we show any sort of like physical affection. Um, but this was something that you did with like, we, we lived in Argentina, right? And, and you would go into church and you would kiss everybody on the cheek. That was just what you did there. And so being a part of the culture, you just touch your cheeks together and give a little kiss. And that's just the way it was. Um, and so this isn't like a rare occurrence where Judas is walking up and kissing him. He's saying, Rabbi, saying, I have respect for you. And then he kisses him. And that is the very way that he is marking Jesus as the one who needs to be arrested and put up on a cross. And he did it for just pieces of silver, right? He just did it to get paid. He did it to get paid. 30 pieces of silver. And we see that here in this text that, that it, it's all about Judas's heart posture. And Jesus knew that heart posture, and he walked with Judas day after day after day. Can you imagine the relational pain that Jesus endured day by day? Man, that's brutal. I couldn't walk in that. But it's like a, a reminder to me, when there are people who are hard to love and to relate with, man, Judas. Just remember Judas. But that's not what I, w- I want us to focus on today. What I would love for us to focus on is even though Judas was this character, and we see John laying out, obviously he's interjecting some things here, stating, man, Judas wasn't thinking about the poor in this text. He makes this statement just to draw away from this beautiful moment. He makes this statement because if they would have taken that perfume and sold it, he would have gotten a cut, at least a little bit of it. If, if they had sold the ointment and went to distribute it to the poor, he would have taken some of it and put it in his pocket. And it just shows that this guy was missing who was in front of him. I just want to point out, like, everybody else in the room is so focused on Jesus. That Martha is serving Jesus, the worker, right? Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. So he was there being a witness of the work of Jesus, reclined at the table, enjoying his Savior, his healer's company. Simon as well, right? And Mary is so moved that she, she does this great act of worship. And then we see Judas. And he's focused on his self. He's focused on his self. And I don't bring this up so that we walk into situations, because we have a tendency to like, and I've said this before, we have a tendency to read scriptures like this and think of people in our life. And I know I just sort of did that. Um, just to harness, like, th- this is the gravity of who this guy was 
and Jesus, Jesus knew it, but he still walked with him and loved him. So in this, we see a call to love those who may seem unlovable. And Jesus saw what he would do. Jesus saw the way he would end up. But he loved him and he served him day after day, teaching him and walking with him day after day. So even if you have those people in your life, we are called to love and serve them by, by the power of his spirit that we would be ambassadors of Christ's love. But I want, you, I want us all to really learn from this too. That Judas was a, a follower of Jesus. He followed him day after day. But he was in it for himself. And I think there are people within the church who are in it for the, we hear that term fire insurance, right? We're in it for the benefits that Jesus can give us rather than for Jesus himself. And I just want to challenge that thinking a little bit. And, and this weekend, or, or whenever we listen to this, right? I, I want to challenge you to, in your times of silence and solitude with the Lord, in your times in scripture reading and spending time with him in prayer, I want you to ask Jesus, what, what is the posture of my heart? Am I here for you or am I here for the benefits that you provide? Because the beautiful thing is, we, uh, my wife and I, we do premarital counseling and we talk about this all the time that you don't get married for the benefits of getting married. You get married because you, you love this other person. And because of the love you have for this other person, actions will come out and benefits will come out of it. But that is not the posture of your heart. And sort of diving a little bit deeper in this, I had a conversation with a friend. Um, maybe you're listening. Hey, you know who you are. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend about the difference between the Myers-Briggs test and the Enneagram. So Myers-Briggs was a uh, personality, you know, one of those tests that tell you who you are uh, that was popular before the Enneagram, um, maybe way before. I don't, I don't necessarily know the timeline, but Myers-Briggs, and then there's the Enneagram, which is popular now. So the Myers-Briggs test, uh, he had had a conversation with somebody, this friend of mine, uh, that was saying the Myers-Briggs test sort of assesses you based off of your actions or what you do. And then the Enneagram is more about your motivations. Like what are your motivations in doing this? And together, the two are actually a pretty great assessment of maybe what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. Because, so you look at like an eight, right? In the Enneagram. If you look at any of the charts, it says that the eight is a challenger. So you might automatically think of somebody who um, is very con conflict you think man they, they just always enter into conflict with me or or there's back and forth but their motivation is to challenge things to get to the root of 
what's going on. The, the challenge is for discovery and learning, right? By and large, I'm again, all of these personality tests are sort of generalizations trying to be helpful tools and everybody has opinions about them. But the Myers-Briggs is just assessing sort of the outcome of those things. So what is going on internally manifests in certain ways within your actions. And so the two together are, are sort of an interesting coupling because it shows the reaction we have based off of the inner workings. What's going on in our heart and our mind influences our actions. And so the two go hand in hand. So this conversation I had with a friend was talking about how the two go together. We see in Judas Iscariot, I'm not going to assess his Enneagram or whatever, but um, nor am I really into the Enneagram. It's just interesting because it's popular right now. Um, But Judas had a certain heart posture, and he enters into beautiful situations like this. And the way he interacts and acts around the people is influenced by what is going on inside of him. That he, he thought he was walking with this, this physical, tangible king. And we talk a lot about the upside-down kingdom. So he thought, man, this guy at some point is going to pull out a sword and conquer Rome, and I will be rich because I handle his money. I handle his money. And so I will be so stinking rich. This is exciting. And at the point where, where, and this is a point where Jesus challenges that line of thinking, right? So, so he goes into sort of this off-kingdom mentality, hey, we should do this for the poor, again, for his benefit. Um, and he does this self-righteous, makes this self-righteous statement like, hey, we should sell this for the poor, even though he knows he's going to take a cut of it. And when Jesus says, no, 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 this is what it's all about. The dinner table, this dinner party, everybody enjoying and celebrating me and what I've done Judas is starting to get hip to the plan that, that this isn't heading to the kingdom that he expected. And so he draws away from Jesus and he leans into the plot to kill him because he thinks he can make a profit off of that instead. Now, I'm not saying our hearts are that dark. I'm not calling any of you a Judas. But what I am saying is I think this is a good opportunity to assess the posture of our heart because what we think and and feel and believe and know in our hearts and our minds, what what transpires in our hearts and our minds manifests in certain ways. I think sometimes we'll say even in, in, in the church, hey, like, if you want to come and experience um, all the benefits, all the things that God has for you, like give your life to Jesus. But I would challenge that a little and, and say, if you want to experience Jesus, if you want to come and meet him and know him and, and walk with him, like he is the prize. And so could we do that this week? Uh, whenever you're listening to this, could you just ask that question of Jesus? Would you help reveal to me what is the posture of my heart? Am I in it for you? 
in verse 9 it says, When the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there at Passover, remember we talked about that last week at Passover, they were all wanting to know whether he was going to be there or not. When they learned that Jesus was there, they came. And not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made a plan to put Lazarus to death too. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So again, we, we get drawn out by Judas Iscariot, but then drawn back into the focus. And really what John is trying to accomplish within this gospel is it's all about Jesus. The Jews were hearing about what Jesus had done. They wanted to see the witness, the the tangible evidence of who Jesus was in Lazarus. They were focused on Jesus, but Judas was focused on himself. Within the inner circle of those who followed Jesus, could we ask the question, man, Jesus, would you assess, Holy Spirit, would you assess the posture of my heart? Am I in this for the benefits? Or am I in love with you, Jesus? And if there's anything off, I just want to say, like, 100% guarantee, if you open your heart and your mind up to the Spirit coming in and doing the work of sanctification, being made holy, the Spirit will come in. And we'll do that. Maybe not on our timeline or in the way that we expect it to do that. Expect him to do that. But he will come in and he will do a work in your heart and your mind. And he will reveal himself in a way that will be impossible not to fall in love with. I love you guys. Uh, I hope this is encouraging to you. Um, I hope this is helpful and just sort of the inner workings of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be back again with you next week. Um, so have, have a great week and, uh, we'll see you then. Looking forward to it.